beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the coming weeks, many of the regular routines of life begin again. Our students are going back to school. Most of us will settle down into a regular work routine once more. The catechism classes will soon begin. The Bible study societies will meet again. The home visit season will start anew. Life gets busy again with the normal routines. That's how it goes with the passing of the seasons. In many ways, the regularity of life is good for us. We have an opportunity to establish good routines in family life, to set aside time for family devotions, reading and discussing God's Word around our dinner table. We can get serious about the study of God's Word in our communal Bible studies. There's more opportunities for us to connect with God, to learn to know Him more and more and His will for our lives, to call on His name, seeking His guidance and help in the things we struggle with in our lives, to help us live devoted lives to the Lord. It's important for us. For how can any of us live a life devoted to God? Don't you find, beloved, that a morning can go by without thinking about the Lord? Or that in the busyness of life or the pursuit of entertainment, we can easily spend an evening where doing God's will doesn't even factor into our thinking? We may confess to love the Lord and to desire to serve Him, and yet have major parts of the day where we live as if God did not exist. One of the great struggles of our day is that we place so much emphasis on ourselves, and that we give so little attention to God. To a certain degree, we're all guilty of ungodliness, Ungodliness is living everyday life with little thought of God, His glory, and His will for your life. We may lead a respectable life, but still be ungodly in the sense that God is essentially irrelevant in our lives. Yes, we may come to church on Sunday and do some daily devotions at home, but if we go through the rest of life with little or no thought of God... How are we essentially any different from our unbelieving neighbor? In our text, Paul speaks about how we have been united with Christ. He uses some graphic illustrations to show how close our union with the Lord Jesus is. Through Christ's glorious work of redemption, we have been transformed. We have been made alive. By the powerful work of the Spirit, we are a new creation. So Paul encourages us to walk in Christ, to live thankful and joyous lives in His service. He provides encouragement for us as we enter a new season of study and work. I preach to you the Word of God and the following theme. Since we have been united with Christ, let us walk in Him. 
We can do so by holding fast what we've been taught, because we've been made alive in Christ, and through sharing in Christ's victory. Paul is very positive in his evaluation of the Colossian church. Early in his letter, he gave thanks to God for them. Paul thanked God because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. Faith and love that sprang forth from the gospel that was preached to them. The Colossians had received Jesus as Lord. They were a faithful church. Paul encourages the Colossians that just as they had received Jesus as Lord, so they should also walk in him. He spoke these words because they were under threat from false teachers. Although they were currently living their lives for Christ, there were false teachers who were promoting another message that could potentially draw them away from the service of their Lord and Master. In Colossians 2 verse 4, Paul warns against those who might delude or deceive the Colossians by fine-sounding arguments. In verse 8 he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Paul shows how there are two options for how we as Christians are to live. The first is in the faith that has once for all been delivered to us by Christ and his apostles. The second is, according to some man-made teaching, some human philosophy or religion or way of life. Now, if I pose the alternatives to you that bluntly, of course you'll all say that you want to walk in Christ and not according to some man-made teaching. But false teachers don't advertise their teaching as being wrong. They promote it as something that will help you, will benefit you. They don't always even cast Christ aside. Often they just want to add something to the gospel. If only you walk in such and such a way. If only you do this or you do that. You'll have a much fuller and a much richer life. Now, Paul warns us not to be taken captive by such philosophy. The ancient world was filled with all kinds of different teachers who each promoted their own perspectives on life. Paul describes their teaching as empty and deceitful. It's made up, an invention of man, consisting of human traditions. Paul says that it is according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. The Greek word translated elemental spirits does not refer to spiritual beings like angels or demons. It refers to the elements or units in a row or series, like the letters of an alphabet, the notes of a musical scale, or numbers in a column. It seems as if Paul is here referring to the ABCs of any human religion. All human religions have a common teaching to them. They all involve a do this and get that in return. A works-based philosophy that teaches that salvation and blessings come only to us 
if we do the right things. That Paul is referring to such things is clear from the verses after our text. These false teachers were making regulations about what you could eat or drink and how you were to observe various feast days. They insisted that their followers practice asceticism. Asceticism was a teaching that to make yourself right with God or to attain his blessings, you needed to abstain from certain sensual pleasures. People would restrict their diets to basics like bread and water. Those who were married would refrain from sexual intimacy. They followed a series of legalistic rules and regulations in the pursuit of salvation or some higher form of spirituality. Paul addresses this issue directly in verses 9 and 10 of our text. Rather than get sucked into a man-made religions of works righteousness, he directs us to Christ our Savior. In these verses, there is a play on the word fullness. Paul makes clear that as Christ is the fullness of God, so those who are in Christ are filled. Now, often when Paul writes about being filled, he refers to being filled with joy and peace or with the fruit of righteousness or with the knowledge of God's will. But that's not the case in our text. Here, Paul talks about being filled with Christ. His point is, just as the man, Jesus Christ, was fully God in human form, so true Christians are fully in Christ. There's nothing we can do to add to that. The basic question Paul addresses in our text is how we are to go forward in our walk with God. The false teachers were suggesting that to go on to fullness, these believers had to follow a course they would chart for them. A pathway that involved much self-denial and living according to a series of man-made rules and regulations. Why would people ever fall for that kind of teaching? It's because these false teachers were offering real progress in godliness, in fighting off temptations, and in living in close communion with God. These false teachers were addressing an issue that we all face in our lives as Christians. We're not always as closely connected to God as we want to be. It's easy for us to be complacent and half-hearted in our service of God. Sins like anger, impatience, laziness, pride, lust, and greed so often have a grip on our lives. At times it seems like we're stuck. We're treading water. We're not making any progress in our walk with the Lord. No matter how much we pray, no matter what steps we take to avoid temptation, there's times when we remain in the grip of sin. What these false teachers were offering the Colossian Christians is what every Christian longs for. A way to live a more holy life. 
deeper intimacy with God, a better understanding of his ways, and freedom from the debilitating power of sin. That's what made their teaching so attractive. But the problem is that no brilliant philosophy or teaching, no man-made set of regulations, no special Christian program will help us to escape completely from the debilitating power of sin. As we strive to live a holy life in deep communion with God, we will continue to face temptations, weariness, struggles, and frustration. The Lord Jesus Christ faced all these things in his life on earth. Sin was all around him. Temptations came from every direction, even from those he worked with and worked for. It made Jesus' life a difficult one. His work was often exhausting and frustrating. Jesus was faced with many disappointments and much sorrow at his disciples' lack of understanding and at the people's hardness of heart. Jesus was a perfect man, and yet he had to walk a pathway of suffering before he attained glory. We're not perfect people, and that makes our struggle to walk with God even more difficult. You see, beloved, we carry in us the residue of our old nature, even when we have experienced the regenerating power of God in our lives and have come to faith in Christ and have been made a new creation, we're still stuck with the remnants of our old nature. Just think of what the dregs of that old nature make you think and say and do. Consider the world and its constant unrelenting influence on us. Reckon with the fact that Satan and his evil spirits are always looking for opportunities to lead us astray. While we are on this side of heaven, we will not attain glory. We'll have to continue to fight the good fight of the faith against the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. So what does Paul have to say about all this in our text? His point is not that once you are a Christian, you may not or should not hunger for more. There is more to the Christian life than getting into the kingdom. It's important for us to want to walk with God, to live in close communion with Him. It's good to experience the joy of our faith the peace of being in a right relationship with God. Our calling is to glorify God in all our words and works. But, beloved, the way forward is not some other way than the road we began to walk when we first followed Christ. The Christian life is often described as a pathway to walk on, Psalm 1 speaks of the way of the righteous and the way of sinners. 
Jesus speaks of the narrow pathway leading to life and the broad road leading to destruction. Paul's point in our text is that we don't need to follow a worldly philosophy or any man-made religion. Any works-based teaching is a dead end. We need what we've always needed. We need Jesus Christ and all he offers us in the gospel. We'll deal with this in our second point. And it will see that we can walk in Christ because we've been made alive in him. In the verses 11 to 14 of our text, Paul speaks about our union with Christ. He speaks about how we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. You see, beloved, there's two things every Christian must believe in order to be saved. Integral to our faith is the belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins and that he rose again to allow us to share in his new life. It appears that the false teachers were teaching the Colossians that in order to be saved, one of the things they needed to do was to be circumcised. Paul's point is that as believers in Christ, they were already circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Circumcision in the Old Covenant was an outward sign of being incorporated into the people of God. It involved a manual operation in which the foreskin was removed from every male. Yet as believers in Christ, the Colossians had received the circumcision of Christ. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was inward in their hearts. It involved the putting off of the old nature. Paul's point is that going back to the works of the law would not help them. Instead, they needed to be united with Christ. Paul expands on this image by noting how we have been buried with Christ in baptism and how we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism involves a washing with water. It was often administered by having people go down into the water and come back up out of it. The point of the image is that just as we are bodily washed with water, so spiritually we are washed in Christ. Just as he was physically crucified for us on a cross, so our old nature is crucified with him. Just as Christ rose from the dead, so we also are raised to newness of life. Paul makes his point clear in verse 13. He says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here Paul explains the spiritual transformation that occurs when we come to faith in Christ. Although we were dead, we are made alive. The sinful nature which formerly ruled our lives no longer has mastery over us. Instead, through our union with Christ and by the powerful working of his spirit in us, we are 
a new creation. Often, beloved, we think about salvation in terms of Christ dying on the cross to pay for our sins. That is indeed a central part of what Christ has done for us. In theology, we refer to this as our justification. But that's not the whole story. Christ has done more for us than just provide us with a pardon for our sins. He not only sets us free from the guilt and condemnation of sin, but also from the mastery of sin. In Christ, we are no longer slaves of sin. We're a new creation. As our text says, God made us alive together with Christ. By the powerful working of the Spirit in us, Christ changes us from the inside out so that more and more it becomes a joy and delight for us to live God-pleasing lives. We're not only justified, we are also sanctified. We are made holy in Christ. How does this happen? Only through our union with Christ. You see, beloved, the gospel is all about Christ. It's not about man-centered philosophies or about works-based programs. Jesus defeated all his enemies and gained the victory over sin and Satan through his cross. And through the empty tomb, the only way that we can share in Christ's victory is through faith in him. Since Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells in bodily form, he's also the only one who can provide us with fullness. You're not going to get any closer to God by denying certain pleasures or by praying harder, or by completing this or that program. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So how are we to walk in Christ? It's one thing to know that we are to do so. It's another to know how to do this. Paul focuses on this in verse 7 of our text. He says that to walk in Christ, we need to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul mentions four elements. Being rooted in Christ, built up in him, strengthened in the faith, and overflowing with thanksgiving. We have been rooted in Christ. Psalm 1 describes the righteous man as a tree planted by streams of water. Christ is the source of our life. Our beginnings come from him. Our life is sustained through him. Our future is no future apart from him. Our life is rooted completely in the grace God has shown us in sending his son to die for us 
It's in Christ that we've been born anew. It's in him that we are a new creation. We are being built up in Christ. Think of the strong trunk and the sturdy branches of a tree. What it needs to grow and develop fruit. God has given us his word and his spirit to sustain us. They give us the nourishment we need to abide in Christ, to bring forth fruit to the glory of God. God's word gives comfort in hard times. It gives guidance in how to live our lives in righteousness and holiness. It directs us again and again to the Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can build our lives on him. We are strengthened in the faith when we focus on Christ. Jesus walked one road all his life. He walked the pathway of suffering, the road of self-denial, all the way to the cross. He was completely focused on doing the will of his Father in heaven. And beloved, we're called to follow in his footsteps to run with endurance the race that's set before us. Part of running the race is to lay aside every weight that weighs us down and the sin which clings so closely. The only way to do that is by looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of glory. We're strengthened, beloved, when we look to Jesus, when our focus is following him on the pathway from suffering to glory. It's in this way that God will enable you to overflow with thanksgiving. In our lives, we face many challenges. We struggle. We suffer. It's hard to be thankful at the best of times. We really struggle with this when life is tough. But remember, beloved, you have been made one with Christ. You share in his death and resurrection. Your sins have been pardoned. You've been made alive in Christ. You've been filled with his spirit. You share in Christ's victory over sin, Satan, and death. You have so much to be thankful for. It's by walking in Christ that you'll bear much fruit. For it's only in Him that you'll be able to glorify God in all your words and works. This brings us to our final point. We can walk in Christ by sharing in His victory. There are times when we can become quite discouraged about our walk with God. Times when we're not closely connected to God, as closely connected to God as we'd like to be. Times when the power of sin and Satan are strong in our lives. Times when sins like anger, impatience, laziness, pride, lust, and greed can have a grip on our lives. And we can feel like we're not making any progress in our walk with God. 
What do you do then? How do you move forward when it seems like the old nature has mastery over your life? At such times, the lure of false doctrine can be strong. There's some new teacher or preacher in town, and what he has to say is compelling. Such and such church is offering a new program and promising it'll bring fulfillment to my life. There is a test by which to measure any new philosophy or teaching or program. Does it focus on Jesus Christ and on the life that only he can bring? Any teaching that's not Christ-centered is by definition man-centered. And any man-centered teaching is not going to help you in your walk with God. But what do you do when you're not making any progress in your walk with God? How do you move forward when it seems like the old nature has mastery over your life? Paul addresses such questions in the last verse of our text. It says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Christ. The rulers and authorities mentioned here are the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Satan and his evil spirits are not only involved in tempting us to sin, but they also accuse us when we fall into sin. They do everything they can to undermine our faith. Yet, beloved, Jesus Christ has won the victory over them. He did so with his death on the cross. Satan thought he was winning the battle when he incited Judas and the Jewish leaders to have Jesus arrested and condemned and crucified. Little did he realize that it was precisely through his suffering and death that Christ would pay the price for our sins, that he would set us free from Satan's mastery. Christ's victory was made clear through his resurrection from the dead. It showed that he had accomplished the redemptive work God sent him to do. Christ was given a place on the throne at God's right hand. He's now Lord and Master over all. What comfort that gives us, beloved. We're united to Christ in his death and resurrection. We share in the spoils of his victory. It's through our union with Christ that we're enabled to walk in him. We've been made alive. In Christ we are a new creation. By the powerful working of the Spirit, we can overcome sin in our lives. Christ equips us to live faithful and fruitful lives in God's service. No, we will not attain the goal of perfection in this life. There will always be a continuing battle against the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Yet we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is nobody and nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
God can and does help us to walk in Christ, living thankful lives to his glory. That's our comfort as we enter a new season of study and work. Amen.